And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. But I'd be on that phone call every single day. I'd be up that guy's yin yang so far with a firecracker, he wouldn't know what hit him from Pfizer. I'd be outside that guy's house. Every time he moved, I'd be saying, where's our vaccines? Change has come to Georgia. Change is coming to America. Hello, everybody. This week, uh, we are pleased to welcome back an old uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Dylan. Dylan, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Rob? Pretty good. Uh, we're going to be here to talk about Alberta polling, um, in terms of the provincial level, talking about uh, Jason's Kenny, uh, Jason Kenny's recent uh, approval numbers, which have not been great. Um, provincial polling in, in Alberta, and then Alberta kind of at the federal level. What's it doing? And as we march towards a seemingly um, inevitable federal election, <clears throat> how are the Liberals going to be looking in Alberta? We're also going to be joined today by Kyle. How are you doing there? Uh, you know, I'm hanging in here. Still enjoying my uh what is this the 368th day of march i'm not really sure of march 2020 uh, march 2020 yeah it's been a very long march 2020 we're not we're not out of it yet especially not in ontario but leaving the people who are in ontario we're going to jump over to uh nikos here who's joining us for the first time on the podcast uh he is joining us from manitoba how are you doing great to be here thanks rob Thank you. And going even a little further west, uh, we're going to be joined by Alex. Um, he's joining us from Saskatchewan. How are you doing? Great. A beautiful day yesterday, 15 degrees out, no complaints here. Yeah, and with with daylight savings time happening, you're now – are you closer to us or away from us? In terms of, I can't remember now. Are you further from – no, you're – I. I used to be on Manitoba time, but as of yesterday, I am back on Alberta time not confusing at all okay so let's jump right into it here so alberta polling so um there was a recently kind of a rash of of provincial polling released in alberta um some of them showing some pretty crazy results especially in when you look at the grand history of political of politics in alberta um showing the ndp with pretty substantial leads uh their largest since they won election but again that was obviously of course with the divided right uh the most recently toss-up model average um this is we're recording this on monday night that will be released on monday this podcast will probably be coming out to you on tuesday the most recent so our most recent model update had the ndp average of 46 percent the ucp 34 percent uh the independents which were it's it's extremely hard to do any sort of average with anything other than the top two because they're kind of different things in different polls but we're going to call independence slash separatist parties slash others nine and a half. And then we're going to call the Alberta party 8%. And then we're going to call the liberals 2%. So, um, Dylan, what are, what's your first reaction when you're seeing those numbers? What, what do you think? Well, it's a bit shocking. Um, but at the same time, not really. So if you recall, I came on the show about a year ago to talk about Alberta when some, Numbers showed a closing of the gap, at least. And here we are a year later, and, and the NDP have taken the lead. Um, I don't think it's surprising when you consider how consistently Albertans have disapproved of Kenny's performance during the COVID pandemic. Um, Alberta is consistently really near the bottom um, every time there's approval ratings for that. There's also been a consistent amount of you know scandals um, of course, economic woes. So the frustration is there. I'm not surprised the NDP have taken the lead. Whether or not that'll last is something we'll discuss in a bit. But um, I, I do think the latest Legere poll that has the NDP over 51% is uh, is off. I think that's a little too high. Um, but, you know, your top line model right now looks pretty pretty interesting in itself, right? 46 to 34, that can produce some seriously significant outcomes particularly with uh, with regard to calgary so it's a fun one to uh, to dive into yeah um and i mean the thing is to be fair though that leger poll at 51 percent, like even us sitting here i was like that's kind of crazy i mean when obviously when you get the decided number when they were still like the undecided number it was like a 20 point 
it was like what was it forty twenty? It was like insane. It was like that's that's crazy. That can't quite be right. Um, and I mean, it, it's still questionable, right? Because I was going through last night in, in preparation for this. I was looking back at the twenty nineteen Alberta polling numbers, and like the NDP got like thirty two percent, which is like when you look back at it, that was like. Like they that they had never polled that low for like the entire election period. They were polling in the high thirties the entire time, and then they ended up at thirty two. It was really kind of a surprise. Um, Kyle, I'll get you in on here. Like, how big of an error were we looking at for Al- for the Alberta election night? Right, like the the NDP significantly underperformed their polling. Was it was yeah. it like province wide? Was it kind of in certain regions? What what was your take on it that? It was definitely province wide. I, I, if I was gonna be honest, I think the main issues were between the two cities the NDP didn't do as well or basically hit about the mark in Calgary but they actually fell further in Edmonton than the polls were suggesting right so that was kind of why that margin expanded for them on election night Um, and as you mentioned the same thing could be happening here uh, with these polls we don't know I I do find it curious that since election night in 2019 uh, the UCP have not had a poll where they've had a larger margin than 15% that entire time. And they won by 22 in 2019. So that is, I, I, it could be an issue with the polling. And, you know, again, in 2019, we saw there was an issue where they were just, they couldn't capture what was happening. And, and in 2015 as well, there was an issue where the NDP were polling higher than 40% semi-regularly, and they only got 40%. And they won, obviously, because of the divided right. Um, but there might be a little bit of oversampling about the cities or some core members in the cities. You know, we're talking like Calgary Center and Edmonton Strathcona. Uh, somebody made a joke about walking down a, a major street in Edmonton and just, you know, talking about those people. Um, but at the same point, like, even if there is that kind of margin of error here with this leisure poll or the Main Street poll or even the Angus Reid poll, that's a significant drop of support for the UCP. That cannot be ignored. That cannot be waved away by, uh, you know, some sort of polling error. That is that is danger territory for Jason Kidd and the UCP. Yeah, Kyle, I'm glad you, you brought that up because when I was doing research too, um, the polling miss on election night is actually quite common in Alberta. And when I was working on kind of trying to figure out what would happen in 2019. This is a common thing I saw in polling, not only 2015, but the elections, the two elections before that, there is a significant PC bump on election night that you don't see in polls. And if you look at 2019, the last three polls before the election were UCP plus 7.4, UCP plus 10, and UCP plus 16. And the end result was plus 22. You know, a huge, a huge miss. And, and, you know, you mentioned Calgary a bit, but there was a private Main Street poll the night of the election that actually had Calgary tied. And that's why wow. there were some that yeah. thought there was a possibility of, of the election going a different way if it's split, you know, funnily in, in, in Calgary. So it, I don't know how to trust Alberta polling. I think when you look at the Legere poll, the rural numbers are what don't make sense at all. The NDP are just not leading outside of Edmonton and Calgary. That's just the reality of the situation. If you look at all the other polls – um, previously to the Legere poll, you know, we got the last four. I don't think any other poll has it like that. Um, but yeah, you're right though. Jason Kenney is, is, is in trouble. Yeah. And as you said, like going back, like I'm trying to think, uh, I don't think there's like, especially 2012. And I don't know how many people remember 2020, 2012, which is a huge polling miss. One of the most massive ones to, I think it shook up the industry quite harshly because then that just followed by BC in 2013. Right. Uh, and uh, as you said, Dylan, it's just it, it's very hard to try to pull a burden. I'm not sure where pollsters are necessarily getting it wrong. I don't know if it's the cities. I don't know if it is just uh, a version of the Trump effect that we see in the states that's always just kind of been hanging out in Alberta, where you know people in the rural areas they just don't answer polls, you know, uh, for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I think, think what we're seeing right now is. Uh... You know, there's a lot of anger in Alberta, and uh, there's anger on both sides, really. There's progressives that are angry at the UCP, but then there's the the Wild Rose faction of the UCP that are angry with Jason Kenney for putting in what um, rules he did to try and uh, to fight COVID. 
And so you're having a bit of a, an internal war in the UCP. You know, it was just announced that he's going to face a leadership review. But right now, there's really no place for that, that protest vote to be parked other than the NDP, because there is no other viable alternative like there has been in the past with uh, the Wild Rose or the PC party. Let me ask a question. Out of the group here, do we think it's more likely that Kenny will be taken down by the NDP or by his own internal factions? The NDP. Yeah. I would be I'd be blown away if he is removed from office by his own party. I don't think I can't even remember the last time that's happened in Canada. And um and I think realistically if you're the UCP, you're looking around at the cabinet and you're kind of grasping at straws to find someone to to replace him, right? As leader, I don't know I don't know who that candidate is that to to unseat Kenny unless they think maybe Brian Jean, but he's currently in the Independence Party, right? So I I think it, if they were to be defeated and we'll talk about why I think maybe they're still the favorites to win the next election, it would be in the next election. Yeah, Kenny Kenny forged that party with, you know, his hands. Um he he took over the PCs, then he won the UCP race. Uh, he, he rules that party with an iron fist. I don't think anything happens in that party that he doesn't want to happen. Um, he, he's already gotten rid of one UCP MLA that, uh, that wasn't uh, up to snuff in his opinion. So I can't see any of his MLAs uh, rising up against him. Very Harper-esque. But th- this kind of gets to the question, though, and we, we raised that about the kind of internal party divisions where kind of more centristy UCP members like Kenny for some reasons, dislike him for others, but then the kind of far right factions dislike him for other reasons and like him for maybe like him for some others. There's kind of a mixed bag of there of what people like and what people don't like. But the question is like, what did he do wrong? Like, I mean, he's still broadly unpopular, right? I mean, just the electorate in general. I mean, again, Generally, conservatives. I mean, the NDP broke a, a what forty some odd year streak of of conservatives being in power in Alberta. I think it was longer than that. Maybe longer, I can't remember. Honestly. Yeah, it was longer. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember these forty four. Yeah, so well, of, of the Conservative Party, if you go back in history of the other parties, sure, right? of a of a Conservative Party, well, relative, of course. But this is the thing, right? What what did Kenny do wrong? Why, why is he in this position? Is it? Just the, is it just because oil prices are lower? Is that it? Is that literally it? Is it just oil prices? Is it was it lockdowns? I don't think so. That seems generally kind of counterintuitive. Is it what? What do you guys think it is? We'll start with you, Dylan, on that. Well, if you, if you recall from the last time I was on, when we were talking about potential odds the NDP at winning the next election, it really resided in the economy staying tanked, which is something I don't think anyone should ever cheer for. Um, if you you know if you're progressive, I I, I don't. I don't suggest that, but that is the main factor in a lot of elections, right? How the economy performs is a great indicator of, of who's going to win. Um, but I think also, like I had mentioned earlier, it's it's the COVID response that Albertans generally are very upset with. They're consistently the lowest province for approval rating in the country. So where it went wrong for Kenny is the economy sucks. Obviously, oil prices have a large part in that, but also... Um, general criticisms over Alberta being a little bit slow to get into lockdown um, for having high rates and uh, and stuff like that. Uh, well, there, yeah, Nikos, I'll, yeah, I'll pass it to Nikos. Yeah, Nikos, what would you like to add to that? Well, their, their election platform was jobs, economy, and pipelines, and they've, they failed to, to live up to any of those. Um, and... You know, he's again. He's got uh, people that uh, that didn't want to be locked down, and they're they're showing their displeasure. Um, so yeah, he's he's failed, and and there's a lot of stories coming out about um, you know that you've got the the war room that's taking thirty million dollars. Um, you've got a whole bunch of his cronies, quote unquote, that that are making money. Uh, well, people are out of jobs. So. I'll, I'll pass this one off to, to Alex here. Um, you obviously live in, in Saskatchewan, which is, again, another conservative province. Many people kind of view Saskatchewan and Alberta as politically and, and kind of in some ways culturally similar. They're, they're very reliant on oil. Um, but Scott Moe, as far as I know, is, is still broadly popular in Saskatchewan and has a pretty high approval rating for COVID. What, what specifically is Scott Moe doing or 
in vice versa was Kenny specifically doing that. Like, why are they not kind of at the same? Like, what's the difference between why people are viewing them differently? Is it just economy? Because I mean, economy would affect both, right? If if like oil prices in Alberta are not like lower than they are in Saskatchewan, not so much. Not so much. Um, both both provinces share a robust oil industry, but the makeup of their overall primary sectors is different. Um, Saskatchewan is still an agricultural province, and it has um, it has evaporite, and uh, it has it has a much more diverse mining industry. Alberta produces nothing but oil, gas, and gravel. Saskatchewan has evaporites and other minerals in the Canadian Shield. So, when oil in particular is down, Alberta feels it worse. Saskatchewan has other things to go on, and its oil and gas sector, rather than being absolutely everywhere like it is in Alberta, you cannot go anywhere in Alberta without without abandoned wellheads and pipeline allowances everywhere. Um, there's a few regions of Saskatchewan where oil and gas is big, but not. It's not. It hasn't completely. It hasn't completely permeated the the culture everywhere, like it has in Alberta. And the um, the SAS government is still pursuing other big projects. Like shortly before the 2020 election, they announced that they were that they were breaking ground on a huge expansion of a um, of an irrigation project in the east in the western part of the province. And um, you know they've been in government for what like 15 years, so they they could have broken ground on that earlier. But um, there are there are other things to keep this province's economy going. And also, I think, I think Mo has simply done less. Um, I remember there was a round of COVID restrictions out here that just did not apply to anywhere that had less than 2,000 people. So the Sask Party had the chance to do something that might anger the rural base, and they, they just gave them an exemption. Um, for for better or for worse, Saskatoon and Regina get less international travel. They're not as likely to be um, <clears throat> they're not as likely to be the first cities hit by by sudden outbreaks. So less I think less needed to be done out here. Less was done, and the economy is rosier. So that's a, that's a and you could say, and the and the Sask NDP is much weaker as well. I think <laughs> they are they are not seen as a government in waiting by most people. Which is a good point for me to jump in just briefly. Is one of the Kenny's biggest problems still remains Rachel Notley. Rachel Notley is a very effective leader, surprisingly effective, even at, when she was being turfed in April of 2019. She still remained broadly popular with most people right and even it's just only getting better for her now you know uh, i mean i'm looking at uh innovative's chart that goes back to august 17 and you know notley has just been cruising on the entire time so if it wasn't for notley i don't know where the alberta ndp would be right now probably not the same shape it is but that's the biggest foil like they just can't crack notley and she's just a very good leader for them yeah, I think another reason it's different than Saskatchewan is that Albertans have had a taste of the opposition party, right? Saskatchewan has spent 15 plus years of the Saskatchewan party. I think there is a little bit of buyer's remorse among many, especially many who voted uh, Alberta party, which got a, a substantial amount of the vote in, yeah. in 2019. Um, but like Kyle said, I think he hit the head or the, the head of the nail with the hammer or however that stupid saying goes. Um, Notley was consistently higher in approval ratings than Kenny throughout the campaign, right? On election night, you look back at some of the polls before and Notley's approvals are higher. It's um, she's in a very popular leader. And, um, and that's probably the main reason why the NDP are, are looking like such a good alternative at the moment. I think approval rating wise, Kenny has always pulled lower than his party and Notley has pulled higher than the NDP. Yeah, it was on it was on every sign in 2019. Every NDP sign said so and so team Rachel Notley and you if you wanted to see who the UCP's leader was, you uh you wouldn't see his name printed anywhere. 
Yeah, it's always it's always fun when when parties try to either wrap themselves in a party leader's name or distance themselves from it. I remember back in Ontario, twenty eighteen, some some liberal candidates didn't even have the liberal logo on their signs. So I remember I remember that was fun. But anyway, that's that's how bad that was. But anyway, let's let's keep on with with the theme of Alberta here, Dylan. As you were saying earlier, uh, you still view the UCP as favorites to beat. Um, the Alberta NDP in, in the 2023 provincial election. Why do you still view that, right? I mean, if you're looking at the polling, I'll just make the, the simple argument that I don't necessarily agree with, but the simple argument is simp- is that NDP are leading the polls, Kenny is unpopular, seems to be a divide, not just in the province of people who dislike him, but also a divide in his, in his party. Why do you still feel their favorites? Well, I think the simple answer is that the election is still two years away. And when I was on the show last year, we talked about um, why, you know, the NDP were closing the gap, but ultimately the economy is going to be the major factor as it is in a lot of elections. And two years from now, there's a much better chance that the economy is in a in better shape, although, albeit that's not guaranteed, right? And that's kind of something that to keep an eye on for the NDP's chances is the economy. So the economy should be better. Uh, the pipeline TMX is supposed to be built by that point. And voters just have a, a shorter memory. Um, they're not, you know, kind of like us political, you know, junkies who who follow things. It's it's very much what have you done for me lately, and uh, things that happened two years ago might not be super relevant on election night. And another thing too, if you look at the map, there's just more paths for the UCP. It, it's they they have an easier way of getting to 44. So. For the listeners who you know, you know, follow Alberta but might not be super familiar with the electoral dynamic, there's 87 seats in Alberta, 44 is needed for majority. And regionally, it splits quite interesting. So there's 26 seats in Calgary proper. There's six seats in the Calgary suburbs. So those are Highwood, uh, Airdrie Cochrane, Airdrie East, Chesmere, Strathmore, and Olds uh, Tree Hills. And then, of course, the one that's debated in polling and whether or not it should be considered Outer Calgary is Banff. Uh, that's the one, if you look at the map, it goes all the way from Calgary to British Columbia. Um, so that's six seats there. That puts Calgary Metro at 32. Edmonton has 20 seats in the city and then seven on the outs, on the outskirts. So you're looking at Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, St. Albert, Mournville, St. Albert, uh, Fort Saskatchewan, Vegreville, Sherwood Park, Strathcona, Sherwood Park, and Leduc Beaumont. Um, the reason I'm bringing these names up is because these seats are going to be quite important um, when we talk about path to victory and then in alberta you have a remaining 28 seats that are non-city uh non of the two cities at least and of those 28 two are in lethbridge and two are in red deer so the reason i think the ucp have an easier path is that essentially you're looking at probably 26 seats in rural alberta off the bat um it's with the exception of lethbridge west the ndp have nothing outside of edmonton and a little bit of calgary and um, and then the suburbs are are what's interesting too. So if you if you're doing the math for the NDP to get to 44, um, they're at 19 in Edmonton. They're going to win 20. Your model has them, I believe, at 19 seats in Calgary, of the 26. Um, that is the range they're going to need. There's two seats in Lethbridge that I think are realistic for them to pick up, and that would kind of leave suburban Edmonton. And, and and this is one area of disagreement I have with your, your model as it is. These seats are, many of them are in the 50s percent UCP in the last election. And you're asking for a pretty big swing. And we don't know if the polling in Edmonton, which, you know, it was 55% on election night. I wouldn't be surprised if Edmonton polling, the number starts with a seven in the next election. That said, you don't know what the suburban area is going to look like. And it's just easier for the UCP to, you know, pick up all of Calgary sub- suburbs, to pick up, you know, 10 seats in Calgary, and then pick up a handful in suburban Edmonton, and they're already at 44. So when you look at the paths to to government, the NDPs is much more narrow. It's all of Edmonton. The more you get to all of Calgary, the easier it is, but you're looking at 18 plus, two in Lethbridge, and then you have to win a majority of suburban Edmonton, and those seats aren't easy. Um, as they currently stand, like I said, that we're talking 52, 56% in a lot of these areas for the UCP. 
One um, one kind of point I'll note on that too is that in twin in the in the Alberta twenty eighteen election, which was actually our for for lean toss specifically, that was just me at that time. That was uh, actually the first election we called. Um, we had a, we actually had a really good election. I think we we were off the top line. We projectedly called uh, the majority government, but we were a little high on the NDP by I think a couple of seats, but generally the right ballpark. But one of the things that was criticized for a lot during that election was that we I routinely had. The, even even with better Calgary polling numbers, I routinely had the NDP um, like the Conservatives still winning way more seats in Calgary. And I remember at a time I, I just plugged in like something like a tied Calgary, and I remember comparing it to other models that plugged into tied Calgary, and there was like um, we, we we still had the Conservatives winning a majority of the vote in Calgary because that that vote was just so inefficient, right? Because there's a couple of very big uh, NDP ridings in Calgary. You can call them off right there kind of in the center and then kind of near the top. But once you get out of those, it becomes very inefficient. You need to start winning the city by a large amount to start flipping all those. But the thing is, the trick of that, though, is you win the city by that big amount. You're not flipping one or two seats. You're now flipping seats by the five, by like by the dozen at that point, right? And the thing is, and while I, I do generally, while I do agree that this is probably not what we're going to look like, I, I very much doubt the, the NDP will win the next election, 46-34, but I would like to, to say that with the fact that when you plug in the polling we have and you specifically plug in that Calgary tab, this is what you get. Now, again, obviously, we are two years out. I don't think it will look like this. UCP probably makes some sort of comeback. Again, maybe there's a lot of people out there that just eventually – they're conservative voters. They just, they just come home down the stretch. But yeah, when you plug when, – when you win Calgary by such a big blow margin and there's like a tipping point there where when Calgary starts becoming a blowout – Currently in the polling, they're just slightly over that tipping point. Now we'll see whether that happens or not, but that's what it's looking like. Kyle, what do you think about that? Do you kind of do you think that if if, if an election happened today and these numbers were there, this is what you, you agree that this is what we'd see, right? Oh yeah. Uh, again, but then okay. do you think that's yeah, do you think that's happened, plausible though? Like that's that's the question. That's what Dylan's saying, and I agree uh, with Dylan too. <laughs> is that this is probably impossible? I don't. If there's any numbers I'm not going to trust, it's definitely the rural numbers. I think those are uh, extremely flawed, and I think there is either some sort of methodological problem, sorry, tongue twister, um, uh, with the poll, or they're just they're oversampling something. Maybe they're just calling you know Lethbridge and Red Deer too much, right? Um, but if the election happened and the election happened the way that these polls are saying. This is the result. This is how the Notley's new majority coalition gets built, right? It's Edmonton, Calgary, and little bits in here and there that brings in. But it's the cities. It's an urban coalition. It is surprisingly somewhat similar a bit to Allison Redford's 2012 coalition, you know? Um, it, it's how uh, non-right-wing parties uh, or leaders have to win in Alberta. Um, and in their favor, the cities are continuing to grow, and Calgary and Edmonton are only getting more diverse and uh, more suburban and growing outwards. So, you know, we'll see what happens, and we'll see if Kenny can sort of grab some of that back. But uh, he, he's kind of fallen the same thing that um, the Republicans in the states have in a bit, or, you know, other parties, uh, conservative parties around the world have. Rob, you you asked about if if these results is what we see on election night, if the model would be on, and the answer is absolutely yes. And what I there's two tipping points I believe in this election. There's the general one we all know of Calgary, right? The NDP are going to have to significantly win Calgary if they want to win the election. There's the other one that I'm starting to see of suburban Edmonton. They're going to have to pick up four of those seats. And if I were to make a projection today, I would have the NDP at four of the seven seats. With that said, I looked at your Calgary numbers. You have it 19 to the NDP and 7 to the UCP. Assuming your numbers are correct here, and I believe they are because the only major miss in any of the polls right now is rural, and I'd like to talk about that in a moment too. But if you look at Calgary, of the seven seats you have for the UCP, you have two of them within 5%, which means you know that's toss-ups at this point. Of the 19 for the NDP, you do not have a single seat that is within 5%. And if this number is, if if that's the number we're seeing in Calgary right now, you're you know you're darn right. The NDP win on election night. Um, the other thing to look for too is 
metro polling, you see this a lot, Edmonton CMA, Calgary CMA. Well, what does that mean, right? You could have two extremes here balance each other out, right, like you did in the last election. You could have Edmonton's proper being heavy NDP and Edmonton Metro being far more balanced. And then the number you see is the result. If that's what happens in Calgary, you know, and this is where your model is bang on of the six Calgary suburbs, you only have Banff going NDP. And I think you're spot on. I don't think any of those other seats are in contention for the NDP. And if that is where the UCP run up the numbers. And of course, if you do the math backwards, that means Calgary proper is heavy, heavy orange at the moment. And if that's the case, you're going to see, a sizable NDP majority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about the the rural numbers in a second because I also have I want to press X to delta those rural numbers too. But we'll kind of on the topic of the CMA and the metro areas. Let's get Alex in on that. He's our the, our geography expert here. So when we talk about and this is kind of, Alberta's kind of the big one for this because when we talk about Ontario, we're like cool Toronto. Everybody knows what Toronto is, and then we have this other made up name called the GTA, which I hate. But we'll get to that in a different podcast episode. But when we specifically deal with Alberta, we really have these kind of two big cities. And this is where this whole CMA debate actually really takes uh, shape. What what do they mean when we talk about the CMA and, and the metro era? What do we mean there, Alex? Yeah, this is this is my biggest issue with with the polls that we're seeing right now, um, and it's my biggest issue with how we're putting our model together. Now that I've been behind the scenes with Lean Toss Up, and I've seen a bit more of how the sausage is made. Um. Right now, for our model, I, uh, we are taking Edmonton tabs to refer to Edmonton proper, Sherwood Park, St. Albert, and that's it. We're using the rural tabs for suburban Edmonton. But um, I have seen at least one of the polls we're putting in our average says something completely different. It says its Edmonton number refers to Edmonton CMA, and that refers to Edmonton plus the four surrounding counties, Sturgeon, Parkland, Leduc, Strathcona, and sometimes Lamont. I'm sorry, Lamont. Um, so um, if, if I believe, I would believe that the pollsters themselves aren't agreeing on this because not, not that many people um, who run polling companies, I think, care that much about plucky little Lamont County. But um, that's 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 a huge difference because in in my in my calculations too I've never I've never been so much of a I've never been so much of a detailed projection guy and <clears throat> but um, those outer acreage acreages of Edmonton seats are super important. Um, I've gone through I've done a fairly deep dive on the census data for all kinds of stuff in Alberta. Um, in 2015, Rachel Notley actually won the town of Vegreville. And there's a, good, um, there's a good argument that that's because it's the most Ukrainian place in the entire province. Um, but um, metro, outer Edmonton and outer Calgary are actually really different. I was freaked out to see it in the numbers. The acreages, the subdivisions around Calgary are the wealthiest place in the entire country. Some of them have an average household income of like $400,000. Like I I was double taking at all this stuff when when I saw it for the first time. Um, The subdivisions around Edmonton are significantly more blue collar. I was breaking it down by, um, by occupation. And there are way more construction workers who live outside Edmonton than there are Calgary. It's almost, it's almost night and day. Like you see it in the incomes, you see it in the occupations. Um, there's a lot of good reasons why, why outer Edmonton should be more winnable than these impossible suburban seats around Calgary. But um, if we don't have, if we don't even have a lot of clarity from the pollsters themselves, and if they're giving us ridiculous results, like the NDP leading outside Edmonton and Calgary, which is almost literally impossible, like I, I don't know how to even start explaining that result. Like, not even, not even oversampling Red Deer would explain that. Like, maybe they're only calling you the University of Lethbridge and my mom's house, but. <clears throat> Yeah, um, I, I think that's reflected in Banff being considered Calgary, CMA, 
it's ridiculous that in in polling in past that's that's considered one of the areas. Um, but I, yeah, I think you're spot on there. That's um, a huge issue with the polling is how do you standardize w- who is where, <laughs> and that's and that was a big issue in the last election too because you know Greater Edmonton was all blue except one in St. Albert. And uh, while we're on the topic of metros, um, you know, so your your model right now, Rob, is predicting 51-36 NDP over the UCP. I went through all of them and I kind of made my own projections as of today, not on election night, but based on what the modeling I'm seeing today and the polling, I have the, the NDP number at 46. I, I, f- I found five areas of disagreement with you. Two of them are rural, um, Lesser Slave Lake and um, Red Deer. I will get to that in a bit for, for, for rural. Um, and I there's an interesting thing with I, I wonder if your model considers race because I think that might be why your model is leaning a little more NDP in, in Lesser Slave Lake. Um, but suburban, at least, of the seven Edmonton seats, I have the four that are most like Edmonton and are most city-like going NDP, and that's St. Albert, Morinville, St. Albert, Sherwood Park, and Strathcona, Sherwood Park. These are the most likely ones if you look at the um, the current margins that are likely to go NDP. The other ones are super interesting. Like you mentioned Vegreville, Alex, that's nowhere near Edmonton. That's a super rural spot. That should not be considered greater Edmonton, but that's part of the Fort Saskatchewan riding. And Fort Saskatchewan is kind of, you know, similar to Edmonton in that way. Beaumont and Leduc are two different cities that are neither Edmonton. Um, and then you got Stony Plain, um, which is again, a little bit different. So I would I would have it four to three right now in that area, and then I have two disagreements in rural, and and we can come back to that whenever you want to talk about the rural numbers. Yeah, I'll, I'll make a quick point first, and then we'll we'll talk about the rurals because I I just want to hit one more thing on in terms of the the city versus metro area. When we get polling like now that says oh the NDP have this massive lead in Calgary, like I mean obviously here's the thing if they say it's the combined metro area. Like, okay, sure, you can say that, but I'm not – if you say, like, the NDP have, like, a 10-point lead in the combined metro area, I'm going to be like, I don't I don't think so. That sounds like something that maybe plausibly you could just have, like, in the Calgary area. Like, any seat that has the name Calgary in it, sure, maybe the NDP could be leading that by 10 points. But, like, if you want to include all these other suburban areas, that starts getting a bit more far-reaching, right? Now, obviously, there, there's better ways to deal with this. We probably need to talk to the pollster specifically and figure out what they are considering metro areas and not. That's probably something for more for the future. But, I mean, again, I, I generally kind of err on the side of caution because generally when we're getting these kind of super strong NDP numbers, I kind of tend to think that's more the kind of the urban area rather than, than kind of getting into the excerpts. But let's talk about the kind of big issue that I also have, which is the rural areas. Um, the Leger poll in the rural areas, that was shocking truly shocking um i mean to be honest through this podcast we made a lot of comparisons and i think some some of our u.s listeners will probably make a lot of comparisons to kind of some southern u.s uh states kind of there's there's some there's some comparisons to be made especially in kind of the the makeup of of, and the demographics of alberta to actually texas right when we're talking about a city that has that is is kind of Long term, longer term conservative, but trending towards the left, and has very wealthy outer suburbs. That could we could be talking about Dallas, right? We could talk about Houston, right? There's a lot of comparisons to some of these southern U.S. cities. And the thing is, when you talk about like that comparison's good, and, and for the cities it's holding. But when and, and then also in the past, right? When you look at 2019 or even 2015, when you make those rural comparisons, right, very heavily in favor of the right wing parties, you even see that. I think the the UCP got what 60, 70 percent in some of those ridings in, in, yeah. And that's very comparable to what the GOP get in some of those rural counties that you look at. There's like a couple thousand people in there. That's very comparable to what they get in, in those other States. But then the shocking thing about the lay shape poll is that they're like flipping that like, no, like the UCP's up like 10, or no, the, the, the leisure poll actually had, and the NDP winning the rural areas, right? Yeah. Which is insane. Like that was, wow. Like there's no way that's true. Right. And like, what do you think on that? Like, you 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 agree that there's no way that the NDP will win the rural area of Alberta, right? We'll go with Dylan on that first, then we'll go to Nikos. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't see that happening at all. Um, I think Lethbridge East is going to be a very close one, and I think that's one where the NDP should be favored at the moment because they do have 
Lethbridge West, but Lethbridge West is very different than Lethbridge East because that's the university side of town. Um, but that's the one I could see flipping. I don't buy Red Deer. You have both Red Deers really close, and I just I don't buy that. And that's not your fault. That's you're, you're given what you're given. Um, another issue with these polls generally is that the lack of standardization of which parties they're polling. Right? They're prompting the liberals. They're not prompting the liberals. They're prompting the Independence Party. They're not prompting the Independence Party. You got to make up your mind here, because the liberals at seven percent in the Leger poll is just that's just nonsense at this point. I think the Wild <laughs> Wild Rose Independence Party, whoever they are, um, they need to be polled more, especially in the rural area, to get a better picture of of where everyone's leaning. But yeah, I'm in agreement with you, Rob. But there's no way the NDP are leading outside of Edmonton and Calgary. I'll go to Nikos on that. What's what's your take on, on that? Like, how plausible do you think it is that, I mean, not even just so much the lead, like, how plausible do you think that the NDP, like, basically NDP strength in rural areas and or even that the apparent liberal support in rural areas? What do you think about that, Nikos? I agree with Dylan. It's, it's not happening. Um, and I think, again, what I said before is that in, in 2015, uh, the rural areas where they had a place to park their protest vote in the Wild Rose Party when they were upset at the PC party. And now they don't have that. Uh, they don't have a viable alternative. So right now they're they're saying that they're parking their vote with the NDP. But when, when it comes time to, to vote, I think that uh, they're not going to vote for the NDP. Yeah, and that that is a really good point, right? Because I mean, again, you could be very, you could be looking at a substantial uh, kind of protest vote. Um, I mean, even federally, we saw that with some of these ridings, right? Some of them, and I think um, I know for a fact, Alex was looking at in, in the most recent Saskatchewan election, there was a lot of Buffalo Party votes in the rural areas as well. Um, so the, they're probably not going to vote NDP, and they're definitely not going to vote Liberal. Uh, I mean, at this point, the independence parties they exist. Have not heard much from them yet. Um, I assume that the second we start getting closer to an election, we'll start hearing a lot more from them as they start doing more outreach, nominate candidates. I mean, I, I'm not even sure who the leader of that is, and that's pretty fluid too. I wouldn't. It's very possible that that person may not actually be the leader of it. Um, I'll get to you on on that, Alex. Um, I think you you've looked through it and, and you've definitely seen correlations with some of the demographics and and support for the Buffalo Party. What have you What have you seen when you're looking at that? Um, well, what I was interested to see in Saskatchewan, earlier I said that Sask has a really regionalized oil and gas industry. There are maybe like four or five rural ridings that are super developed for oil and gas, while the rest of the province has almost nothing. Guess what? Those were the four or five ridings where the Buffalo Party came second instead of the NDP. It was a great correlation. But since Alberta has oil and gas everywhere, I think I'll... Um, and also, also the same thing happened in BC. Um, BC has a fracking industry. Um, it also has a it also has a mountaintop pit mining industry. Um, there, there's a lot of dirty things that happen in BC, but they're very far away from Vancouver, so most people don't think about them. Um, the two ridings in BC that have the frack industry went for the BC Conservatives, a nearly defunct party with not much presence. That or advance warning. So in Alberta's two neighbors, we saw where there is oil and gas, there are angry people who make weird political decisions. In Alberta, there's oil and gas everywhere. So um, that's a good indicator that the entire province is full of angry people who are going to make weird political decisions. But we, um, it's too far out. The far right is in a uh, constant state of turbulence i i do not follow too closely who the charismatic radio show hosts are who are going to be angling for all these weird positions um hard to call this this far out but i definitely agree that this um if there if we're seeing an ndp protest effect in the polls right now that's going to evaporate unless something insane happens i do i do think it could get a bit easier if trudeau was out of power um that would that would really that would really change alberta provincial polling if there was a different prime minister but uh, we also do a federal model so right right now we don't think that's likely to happen either 
No, I think in terms of third parties, the Alberta party had a push in 2019 that we're not going to see a repeat of in the next election. Um, in 2019, you had um, Kenny come in and uh, take over the PC party. So you had a flood of former PCs go to the, the Alberta party. You had a somewhat known leader who used to be a mayor in Edmonton who was a, a PC minister, uh, and they ran they ran a full slate of candidates, um, and they took 9%, 10%. Um, they don't have a leader now, uh, They and if when they do, I don't see it being as significant as, as their past leader. Uh, so I don't think that we're going to see such a big push that, that probably cost the NDP a couple of seats uh, in Calgary. Yeah, and, so and, and Alberta Party leader Jackie Fenske could spoil Strathcona Sherwood Park for the NDP, which... Um, I, I like to double down on what both of this, what both of them said. Um, I think, and I don't think this is a hot take, the third party right now in Alberta is the Independence Party. I think the the Alberta Party is going to be cut at least in half on election night. I think the Liberals will not crack over a percent and a half, mainly because they won't run in many areas. And I think the Independence Party, if there is any rural hope for the NDP, it'll be an Independence Party cracking 15, 20% in some rural ridings, which I don't think is going to happen. But that's definitely on the table, right? Right now, the Independence Party, there is that anger, and it is in places like... Uh, Drumheller, or you know, even the outskirts of Camrose that are super rural and that have voted Wild Roads in the past. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic to look for. And if you recall in the last show last year, I said that is one thing that could help the NDP is if there's a strong independence party. Um, and I, I think right now they are the third party, and I wouldn't be surprised if they crack 10% on the election. Yeah, and that's a good point, right? I mean, as as Nico said, um, and I'm sure he can he can probably add to this. There was kind of a push from some former PC members who weren't necessarily the most taken with the UCP and, and kind of wanted to join the Alberta Party as a way to kind of oppose. They're like, oh, we don't like the NDP. We think they're too progressive slash liberal, and we're not necessarily with the UCP. We think they're there's too much Wild Rose influence there. So we're going to make our own kind of third-way centrist party. And since that didn't work, and since I'm fairly sure most of those people are not the most happy with Jason Kenney right now, would you not kind of see a lot of bleed over, a lot of kind of people jo- jumping in and joining the NDP rather than kind of staying in that, like make, deciding that the NDP are the lesser of two evils in that case? Nikos, what, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think... People are going to have to make a choice, and it's a two-party choice at this point in Alberta. Um, yeah, and I think you know. So, up to, leading up to the election, you know, it'll depend on who their leader is, uh, how many candidates they can run, uh, and where they kind of have strength. But at this point, you've got a, a two-party race in the province, and I don't see that changing anytime in the near future. But um, you know, it, it could depend on whether Kenny. Uh, runs his his independence referendum as he's promised. Um, if he does that, that could kind of diminish some of the independence vote if they if they get their referendum, and then it all depends on how that referendum goes. If it loses, then I think things kind of fizzle out. If they get a good showing and and they're over fifty percent, then you you might get a stronger independence uh, a group. Well, that, that the referendum you're referring to isn't necessarily an independence referendum. It's about equalization payments, and it's not exactly it's it's functionally a um, a proxy for independence. It's not actually independent. It's it's really kind of dumb and, and childish. But again, obviously, we'll have to see how that uh, how that kind of ends up. I believe they're they're coupling it with uh, the municipal elections in Alberta, um, and that will happen in October. So we'll have to see um, when they do that. Um, Kind of moving on here, kind of to our last topic, uh, we want to talk about Alberta federally. Uh, now, we've actually, surprisingly enough, we've actually seen the Liberals make gains in Alberta, right? The the whole, the prevailing wisdom from 2019 is that the Liberal Party is dead in Alberta and Saskatchewan. There's no way they can win. Well, they're probably not going to win Ralph Klein's seat back. Or, sorry, good, Ralph Goodale, sorry, not Ralph Klein. <laughs> that was wrong, wrong, wrong Ralph. Um, they're probably not going to win Goodale's seat back. In, in in Saskatchewan, there's definitely a couple seats for them in in Alberta. Um, specifically, looking at some in Edmonton, some in Calgary. Um, I'll go to you on Dylan on that. 
why are they making this comeback, right? Like, the whole thing was, they're dead, there's no way they'll ever win a seat. I mean, the, the, the Conservatives won almost every single seat in Alberta, save Edmonton and Strathcona, which the NDP won. The Liberals weren't even competitive in that seat. Why are we seeing that? And, and, and do you, the model, I think, has a couple of seats. I think you went through that. Do you do you agree with the model's projections in, in those seats? Do you think those are the target seats, or are there some others that they might be missing? So I kind of theorized this was possible before we started seeing it in the polling. I think it's one of the most interesting subplots of 2021 right now with the federal election is, again, going back to the, the, the approval ratings for Jason Kenney, you know, I don't think people realize how hated he is in Edmonton. And Edmonton is a progressive city, right? It's heavy NDP provincially. And Calgary is too. You know, it's more fiscally conservative, but they're socially progressive cities. And he's doing significant damage there. And I think a lot of those seats are coming into play, especially the ones the Liberals have previously won. Now, I'm sorry I did not look at the federal model, but I do have six seats that the Liberals can compete in, or the NDP at least. You brought up Edmonton Strathcona and why the Liberals weren't competitive there. And it's because the left in Alberta, in Edmonton and Calgary, are surprisingly both efficient and inefficient at the same time. So they're efficient in certain areas of the city. They know which party is likely to finish second. So, you know, you'll see, or first, so in the case of Edmonton Strathcona, if you're left, you're voting NDP. It's just kind of an unspoken rule. But there's still too much of vote splitting in certain parts of Edmonton, which is why you saw Edmonton Center, for example, flip back to, to the Conservatives in 2019. So I got the 2019 numbers here, and here are my six seats. Edmonton Center, I think at this point, is going to go liberal. I think that's probably the one seat I would kind of confidently put in for the Red Party. Uh, they, it was 41-33 in the last election. So I think if you if you consider a Kenny effect, you consider the Liberals maybe post-COVID getting a bump, I could see that flipping. Um, two other Edmonton seats I don't think will flip but are in play is Edmonton Mill Woods. Of course, this was the other liberal seat they had from 2015. That was a 50-33-12 split in 2019, so there is a lot of ground to make up there for the liberals. The other one's an actually an NDP seat, and this is Edmonton Griesbach. Can't really pronounce it. Um, this is one where in 2015, the NDP were neck and neck with the Conservatives. This was a very, very close seat in 2015. And in 2019, uh, it was 51 Conservative, 25 NDP, and 17 Liberal. So with a more efficient vote there, the NDP could actually pick up a second seat in Edmonton. And when you look at Calgary, I think these are much less likely, but you look at Calgary Centre, Kent Hare's old seat, the 56% Conservatives to 27 Liberal. That's a lot of ground to make up, but if there's anywhere in Calgary they're going to do it, it's probably there. You look at Calgary Skyview, the other seat the Liberals had, 52 to 28. So again, that's a, a lot to pick up. And one other key seat to keep an eye on, and this people might not really expect this, is Calgary Confederation. In 2015, this was a close seat as well. The Liberals almost picked up this one. Um, and in the last election, it was 55-22. So again, these are large margins to make up. But when you consider the Kenny effect and you consider possible liberal bump across the board, I think I think the Liberals definitely pick up Edmonton Center. I would say like 70% confident. Um, and the rest are in play. But I, I, I think the conservatives will hold. But that's something just to keep an eye on as we head towards another federal election. I was going to ask you what your sixth was besides the uh, five seats that didn't go conservative in 2015. But I'm, I'm satisfied with your assessment. Edmonton Griesbach is in the um, it's in the more working class north side of Edmonton. So it's actually it's actually, I think, the second lowest income riding in the entire province. So. Um, <clears throat> Reasonable. The NDP just confirmed their candidate there a couple weeks ago. They're running Blake Desjardins, who a um, formerly a Indigenous politician with the Métis settlements of Alberta. So there is a non-negligible Indigenous population in the riding. Community ties might help. Uh, it's uh, it's one I'll be watching. Um, although. I live in rural Saskatchewan, so really anywhere that the NDP could break through, I'll be watching just to distract myself. <clears throat> um, and yeah, those other two urban ridings, Edmonton Centre is like Calgary Centre, but it's an easier pickup. Edmonton Mill Woods is like Calgary Skyview, but it's an easier pickup. Both cases, you have your downtown riding, which should be going liberal, and it would be liberal in any other normal city. And then you also got your extremely diverse multicultural outer suburbs and again in both Edmonton and Calgary there is one suburban riding that is much that is much more uh, east indian than the rest 
And left-wing parties have had more success with that group uh, in the past all across Canada. Yeah, I'll just kind of uh, add on that. So uh, your, the six that you have listed, uh, the lean toss-up model has none of those as safe conservative. Uh, we have Center as a likely liberal pickup, Millwoods as a lean liberal pickup, Gr- uh, Griesbach, we have a four-point conservative lead there. It's currently likely, but that's borderline. It's like a point over likely. If it was a point less, it'd be lean. Um, Edmonton Riverbend, that one's about a, a 10-ish point lead for the conservatives there. Um, we actually have Skyview as the as the closest one in Calgary. We 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 put that ahead of Calgary Center. Um, we have a four point conservative lead in Skyview. Going to Calgary Center, we got about a seven point lead for the Conservatives, and then in Confederation, we have a nine ish point or the nine point six lead, so roughly ten point lead. But again, none of those are safe seats. Those are the only seats that are not safe for Conservatives, or the with the exception of Strathcona, those are. Um, Strathcona, we have obviously a safe NDP, but other than that, though, those are the only seats that are not safe conservative in the province. Um, Nikos, what do you kind of think? Do you do you agree with those synopsis that those are the target seats? Do you think that the Liberals like? Do you think this is kind of like a dead cat bounce? Right? Is this just people are happy with Trudeau doing well in the pandemic, and then this is going to go back the second the second the pandemic's all over? Aaron O'Toole is going to show up there in Edmonton. He's going to talk about oil, gas, like oil wells, and then those seats will go right back to him. What, what do you think? I think it depends on who the candidates are. I think these ones will be, um, you know, if you can get a Don Iveson into Edmonton Centre, it's a pretty high pickup probably. Um, you know, I don't think Amarjeet, so he's going to run again. Uh, Randy Boissonneau has moved to Scotland. He's not running again. Um, so I think it all depends on, on if they have strong candidates there that uh, that are in the community. Kyle, we haven't heard from from you in a while. What do you what do you think? Uh, I think the kind of the one you're interested in there is is and the one we're talking about in terms of star candidate factor, at least for now, is is uh, Edmonton Griesbach there. What do you what do you think? Uh, I, I think the prevailing wisdom in this group is pretty accurate, though. I will say I am definitely not as high up as Dylan and probably some of the others here. As I, I think, it's very easy for the Conservatives to get a uh, 33 out of 34 sweep again. Very easy. I don't care what the polling says right now. The fact of the matter is liberals will get to 25%, maybe pick off Edmonton Center, and that's almost it, right? Like, it, and I don't even think they're going to get above 20 in the coming election. Not with Trudeau on the ballot. I am sorry, but... And I think Albertans are just not going to... They're not going to transfer their hatred for Jason Kenney over to the federal scene. They're going to put in a Trudeau uh, MP, you know, so uh, I think otherwise it all makes sense. I think those are good targets. Um, as Alex, I think mentioned briefly, was uh, seats like Edmonton Manning and Edmonton Mill Woods, seats with heavy East Asian populations, or sorry, South South Asian East Asian populations. You know, similar to what we see in Mississauga or the suburbs of uh, Greater Vancouver, uh, where the left-wing parties tend to do a little bit better. I think those in the future are growing more and more likely to flip, um, as we saw with Skyview in 2015. But, you know, we'll, we'll see in the future. Yeah, I, I think you're... Sorry, sorry, Alex, you can go first. Oh, well, I just I wanted to tell you about... Um, because... Here is here's our wild card, Dylan. Um, the lean toss-up model is built to actually weight education the strongest. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I don't believe it looks at race actually, when because you asked earlier about Lesser Slave Lake, but we can um, <clears throat> we can discuss it that later. We don't well. get polling data for. Like, yeah, I was, yeah. I was just, I was just about to say that. Yeah, like we'll, like here's the thing. Honestly, any pollster, if you're listening. Give me a, a, a an ethnicity tab. I'd love that, and then I'll throw that in the model. But we can't get that consistently, right? That's the issue, right? If we got that consistently, it would 100% be in the model. But, but that's Rob, we don't, don't get it. Don't so. you have the demographics of the area kind of built in? What do you know? Not we necessarily have, in the polls, but you know, you know the demographics of we, the of the region itself. We can, I, I do that for education. Uh, I can get the demographics for ethnicity, but we don't get polling on it, so I can't really. Because if not, you're going to miss some stuff. But that's yeah. something I'm looking at for for the next election. Because that's that's a topic so, for a different podcast. But yeah, but yeah, know, we'd but love the it. The reason I brought it up to begin with is because um, 
in the riding of Masco Cheese Watasco when you have it significantly less blue. And I actually expected that, and I think that's wrong. And I thought maybe that had to do with certain racial assumptions in rural Alberta that, you know, we could address that another time. Um, but that's just one riding where in 2019 it was 64% UCP, and in the current model you have it 4339 and i cannot wrap my head around that other than perhaps a higher indigenous population that you're maybe assuming votes ndp um but that's why i brought it up in the first place and i i, I think it'd be an interesting conversation but i don't well, want to derail where we were going with it part of just to maybe quickly answer that i think it's because uh 24 essentially is pretty high among alberta rural ridings you know like uh, it's nearby, you got uh, Drayton Valley and and Rimby Rocky Mountain House, which were uh, sixteen sorry seventeen percent and nine percent respectively, right? So I think that might be why the model's kind of picking up that. Yeah, riding. I I think well, I think we're bumping Wetaskiwin up just because if you assume this top line in rural Alberta, there's nowhere else there's nowhere else to put those extra NDP votes. Um, definitely, like yeah. Um, if you're relying on the reservations in Masquachis to turn out for the Alberta NDP, super low turnout group, don't don't put money on that. No, but no, that's and that's a thing with um, you know I did my first degree in political science and that's a a very interesting debate is the lower rates of turnout for Indigenous voters and also there is kind of I think a wrong assumption and I had made this mistake in 2019 thinking okay, where there are indigenous people, there may be more likely for the NDP to pick up seats. And not only is the low voter turnout an issue, but there's not necessarily a strong, as strong a relationship as in other parts of the country between yeah. race, left-wing parties. And the example is actually Masquachis and Wetaskiwin, because Wetaskiwin, while still a predominantly white town, has a substantial indigenous minority population. And again, 63% for the UCP. In, in the last election. So that's why I thought maybe in Lesser Slave Lake and in this area, you were kind of perhaps looking at underlying indigenous populations as a reason to kind of fill those votes for the NDP, yeah. which, like Alex said, don't put your money on it for the next election. Yeah, like I now, um, I think I think Lesser Slave Lake is the one here. Like, yeah, that's that's the most likely truly rural pickup. It's the most indigenous friendliest riding to the NDP in the past. But I've actually I actually have. Um, I actually tried drawing a super gerrymandered Alberta provincial riding that was majority Indigenous. It's really hard, but you can do it by connecting every single reserve in the entire northern half of the province. It looks disgusting. <laughs> even, even when you build this nightmare riding, it still went for the UCP because of um, turnout, um, there's there's a lot of reserves that actually don't go all in for the NDP. Um, yeah. They're not there's there's even candidate effects where the Alberta Liberals will just run a band councillor locally known somewhere, and they'll still they'll 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 do well in their home community just because they're known. That even happened with the Saskatchewan Liberals, who otherwise are dead in the water everywhere. <clears throat> S- I was gonna say another nothing wrong, but another reason why Massachusetts and Wataskawin might be there is because um, I built the the transposition for 2015 onto the new 87 ridings, um, and that went 5742 UCP NDP, uh, and Legislative Lake went 5743. Right, so it's well, that it's was the old riding, right? Yeah, that, no, that's I, the old riding of Campbell's no, 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 Wataskawin. Yeah, this is the the one that I'm like I did transposition onto the new okay. rings from the 2015 results. It did, we had a similar result in 2019 or 2015 as Legislative Lake. If you put the you know the wild road or the wild rose PCs together, whatever. Um, so it's one of those weirdly maybe friendly ridings, which is again what models probably picking up about it. But I think these points about um, the First Nations turnout and their effect is really good to to bring out. Um, I do wonder if if they thought if these voters thought, which are mostly NDP voters, if they saw that the NDP was again gaining steam in an election, if they had come out more. I don't know if that factors into anything or not. I think it absolutely would. I think, though, at the same time, a better predictor 
other than race still is probably urban rural that's still probably the best predictor for for alberta at this point mm-hmm. there's an also thing with voter turnout that's it's a significant issue that's not talked about enough in canada with the indigenous population there's just not as high of a turnout as you would like for it to see and there's super fascinating reasons behind it that are theories um but it's definitely an interesting topic that you would like to see politicians speak more of is is reaching out yeah yeah. So I think uh, we've had a great conversation today. I think um, I don't think there's anything else particularly we want to hit on. I think we we pretty much hit on on everything. I think um, I think the, the kind of conclusions to take away from today is that although Jason Kenney appears to be in trouble right now, may not be as bad as it seems. Will likely get some sort of, some form of economic rebound. Um, and we all kind of still expect him to pull this out in the end, I guess. I mean, I think we only see more data. And finally, federally, I think um, I think we've seen some liberal gains, but even even kind of broad liberal gains are still going to only translate to a couple of seats, based on just kind of how um, just kind of how inefficiently distributed that vote is. So um, yeah, so I'd, I'd like to thank uh, Dylan for, for coming on with us today and, and being our, our, our Alberta expert. Thank you, Dylan. You're welcome. Yep. And uh, thank you, Nico's also um, a very strong expert in, in Alberta politics. Thank you for sharing your expertise on that. Great to be here. Yep. Um, Kyle, thank you for, uh, thank you for coming on and, and helping us in terms of understand the model and, and, and kind of, uh, and kind of the underlying assumptions as to um, kind of why some of these uh, seats are voting the way they are. Thank you for that, Kyle. Always a pleasure. Yep. And Alex, of course, those uh, great uh, details there about the demographics and, uh, and and comparisons for Alberta, Saskatchewan. Thank you for that, Alex. Thanks for having me on. There's not that much to do out here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. See you, see you next week. Peace.